You are listening to Payers, Providers, and Patients Oh My, a podcast brought to you by the healthcare group at Kroll & Mooring. I am Joe Records. And I'm Pio Nanavetti. Today we are going to talk about the multi-state plan program with Rob Shriver, John Foley, and Christy Martin. Right. These are three of my former colleagues. All four of us work together on the multi-state plan program, the MSP program, among other things, a few years ago at the Office of Personnel Management, also known as OPM. The MSP program was an Affordable Care Act program that was administered by OPM, designed with the idea that it would ensure that each exchange in each state had a minimum of at least two high-quality plans on offer for eligible enrollees. In directing OPM to administer this program, Congress seemed to try to tap OPM's success with the Federal Employees Health Benefits Program, or FEHB program. But for reasons we'll discuss, the MSP program differed from the FEHB program in several important ways that made it difficult to implement. And although the MSP ultimately failed, Rob, John, and Christy have identified a few lessons learned that can be used by policymakers who are now considering how to expand healthcare coverage for Americans. They recently published an article in Health Affairs, which we'll link in the show notes, along with their bios, where they discuss their four lessons. Yes. At a high level, the article discusses how flexibility is critical to a federal health care program, how incentives to insurers are important for a program, why quality is more important than quantity of options, and the importance of the tools that will be used to manage risk and cost in a new program. During our conversation, we're hoping to get some more context on these lessons to see how they developed them and which elements of MSP could be improved in proposals that policymakers are considering. Thank you all so much for being here today. This is exciting. We get to talk about the MSP program, which is a little tiny, but in my opinion, very important piece of the Affordable Care Act that the four of us all worked on together a couple of years ago to implement the MSP program. Thanks so much for being here to talk about the MSP program and most importantly of all, its ultimate failure. I want to take a look, a broad view at what the MSP program was and why it came into existence to frame up why it matters that we talk about it now. Thanks, Joe. So the multi-state plan program was part of the final legislative compromise around the Affordable Care Act. It came into the law at the same time as the co-op program came into the law. Those were substitutes for the public option that was being debated at the time. And what those two programs were intended to do was provide a basic level of choice in health plans to all customers who might be shopping on the new Affordable Care Act exchanges, specifically the multi-state plan program provided for there to be at least two issuers in every state in the country that would offer multi-state plans on either the federal exchange or the state exchange if that state had created its own state-based exchange. And the idea was that after a period of time, I believe there was a four-year implementation period, you'd have at least those two multi-state plan options available to any customer using any exchange in the nation. Why was OPM tasked with implementing this program under the Affordable Care Act? It seems like most of Title I of the Affordable Care Act dealing with private coverage was HHS or it was the Department of Labor and the tri-agencies in conjunction with the Department of the Treasury. Why was OPM kind of brought in for this piece for the multi-state plan program? 
largely because of the Federal Employees Health Benefits Program, FEHB program. And that's been a widely popular program since 1959. Across the aisle, Democrats, Republicans have praised it as being a good market-based exchange that gives fair value for federal employees and retirees. And it operates, as I said, it operates since 1959 and has almost 100 plans in it across the country. And there are various types of plans. So there are community-rated plans, there are HMOs, there are large fee-for-service plans. So it has a great deal of choice and it's thought to be well-managed. So I think congressional leaders were looking at that and saying, we're happy with this. This is where we get our health care. At least at that time they did. At that time they did, yes. That's another blockbuster. (laughs) (laughs) So I think they went with what they knew and something that was, again, broadly popular across the aisles and seemed to be something they could all agree on, which there wasn't much at the time. So that was good. Can you talk a little bit about the role that the ACA created for OPM in managing the MSP program? So there was really two provisions related to the multi-state plan program. One provision was actually to establish the authority for OPM to run the program and run it like a contract-based program like FEHB and laid out the standards that it would apply for the plans that would come in and participate. And then there was another provision that was related that was 1324. So 1334 was the MSP provision. 1324 was the level playing field that applied to both co-ops and the multi-state plan program and basically described how it was going to interact with state law and created a trigger point where if the multi-state plan programs basically stepped away from certain provisions of state law, that it would trigger the market in that state to not have to comply with that law. So there was really two pieces, and those two pieces are what kind of created some of the difficulty in implementing the program because it's a federal program on some levels, being an OPM, like FEHB program is, but then it had this unique, well, you have to comply with these state laws, which made it more like state-regulated insurance. So I think trying to find that balance ultimately was one of the failures of the program. And I don't know that members of Congress truly appreciated how complicated insurance regulation was. And so adding more regulators probably wasn't the best idea. (laughs) They probably should have figured out a way to simplify the administration of it, which we talked about in the blog. And as I think in the article, you called the level playing field provision a, a poison pill, where on some level, the MSP program could have allowed MSP issuers to escape from compliance from some of those listed state law provisions under the level playing field provision. But if that happened, the state's market would be devastated potentially by none of the issuers in that market having to comply with that particular provision. Is that basically right? Yeah, that's correct. One specific example that we really struggled with was FEHBP program contracts have, for the national plans, have one national rate across all states. So one premium. And because of- And one risk pool. One risk pool. Yeah, exactly. And because of 1324, it said they had to comply with rating rules, basically rating laws within the state. You can't really balance those two out. They're already in conflict. And so we deferred to state rating laws and state rating rules for these plans, which started to break down this national plan idea. Yeah, those categories were very broad, and it really created a chilling effect on us as policymakers and regulators at OPM from carving out any special rules for multi-state plans 
the carriers that we were attempting to recruit valued their relationships with the state insurance regulators, which were historic and where most of their business was, far more than they valued a potential new relationship with OPM. So even if we were willing to push the envelope a little bit, we did so at risk of the insurance regulator becoming unhappy not only with us, but with the carriers that would be offering the multi-state plans, and really no carrier was willing to take that risk. So under the Federal Employees Health Benefits Program, one key difference is that there's a broad preemption provision for the FEHP plans, where by contrast here, no preemption for multi-state plan program. And then I think another key difference between FEHB program and the multi-state plan program is money, right? What's on offer from OPM in the Federal Employees Health Benefits Program is a lot of premiums for federal employees being covered under the program. What was the incentive to come to the table to negotiate with OPM under the MSP program? Yeah, in terms of preemption, it's something that the FEHB program and an authority that they have to exercise, it, they don't use it that often, but when they do use it, it's well known, and they do it for a reason. And they're trying to keep good relationships with state regulators and state lawmakers. But, you know, it is important in certain instances and in the FEHB program. With the MSP, I think it's was structurally very important because, as we've talked about before, all the rate regulation is happening at a state level and you're asking a national plan, which is used to negotiating with FEHB for a single national rate, is now having to do that negotiation 50 times. And they already have negotiated their own plans on the state exchanges, so you're multiplying the number of times that they need to go through that process. So I think there's a, also an underlying issue of trust. So state regulators trusting this program that they didn't know anything about and trusting a federal agency to partner with them, and that doesn't happen overnight. So it's the kind of thing that I think people were very cautious about and protective of what they knew, which was their state system. So it was a complicated picture, but it definitely made our jobs a lot harder. I would just add, John, that not only was it a matter of trust with state regulators, but also with consumer advocate groups that OPM didn't have a relationship with, because I think a big part of the concern around the multi-state plan was were the state-level mandates that many advocates had fought hard Mm -hmm. through their own legislative process were they going to be honored? And that was one of the first policy decisions that we made in implementing the multi-state plan program, that we would honor all those state benefit mandates, which again was a reality because of the lack of preemption. And I go back to the point that we couldn't anger the state regulators, or really, if we wanted to be a success, the consumer advocates in those states either. Circling back on John's point, and I think what you were saying, Joe, about the money With FEHB, there is relatively low risk and potentially high rewards, right? It's a fairly safe, riskful to be working in, to be offering coverage in. You have the backstop of the OPM actuaries helping to set rates so that you can make sure that you are setting rates appropriately and competitively, but also you have reserves that are available. You also have the federal government kicking in a large portion of the premium. So insurance companies know they're going to get paid their premiums. They don't have to worry about non-payment. Whereas with the exchanges, no one really knew. And so it was a very high risk and potentially no reward. And so for 
long established insurance. They made very calculated judgments on how they were going to enter in the markets, which markets they were going to enter, where they think they could make money, where they think that they could get a pretty strong market share. And when it came to the multi-state plan program, we were really trying to attract, at the end of the day, a new issuer, looking for an issuer that wasn't selling in a market, looking how we could add competition in states like Mississippi that were highly concentrated. And without having some of that financial incentives of you're definitely going to get paid your premiums. You're definitely going to have some reserving to help support you. You're going to have administrative simplicity to make it easier for you to enter this market. The business case was really hard to make for a lot of these plans. Right, so the selling point is, hey, we're OPM. Come negotiate a nationwide contract with us for the multi-state plan program, and we will add administrative complexity that you get the benefit <laughs> of, right? That's a, that's exactly, yeah. That's um, what happened. <laughs> but I, and I, there's an important point here that I don't want to miss that... The government is paying a large part of the premiums under the Federal Employees Health Benefits Program, whereas under multi-state, I mean, there would still be potentially on the exchanges, there's access to premium tax credits, but and those would still be available, potentially available for multi-state plans to the same extent as qualified health plans. But it's not like there was a big award amount for this contract. What was really on offer was the certification to be offered on exchanges as opposed to payment for these plans being offered. So what's being balanced here is an issuer is coming to the table to say, yes, I will take on this administrative complexity to participate in the multi-state plan program. And what do I get back for that? It's certification to be offered on these exchanges, which potentially was available from the states in the first place. Right. So what's potentially the value of having the OPM certification? I always thought a value was you could advertise that you were making available to the public the same coverage that's available to federal employees, as John mentioned. The branding of the FEHBP is strong, 8.3 million covered lives. I thought that could be a powerful marketing point. Of course, what the insurance companies were concerned about is that would be very powerful for the sicker members of the public. They would love to have FEHB coverage, and therefore the carriers would get stuck with the sickest people, and they would have the most risk. I think with PSIP, too, and I know John and Rob had a lot more dealing with the pre-existing condition insurance plan, but that was kind of the first foray into ACA implementation for OPM. And while that program was really successful, I think one thing that people were very conscious of is a lot more people enrolled than we anticipated. Those people had pent-up healthcare demands and a lot more unmet need than I think everyone anticipated. So it was a more expensive program to run. And I think for new issuers, especially like GEHA that was administering the PSIP program, there was that concern walking into 2014 too, is you really couldn't calculate your risk and who you were going to be able to attract and what happens if you attract only the riskiest population. Can you succeed? I think that was the ultimate downfall of the co-ops is they ended up having some trouble with their managing their risk pools. But I think that was part of it too, is People could see things kind of writing on the wall to be like, this is going to be really difficult. We don't know what 2014 is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, certainty about who you're going to cover is essential for a health plan. So federal employee population retirees are a well-known quantity. You can track them over the years. There's data available. Not as much as there should be, but <laughs> there's, there's data available on the population that you're covering. and. Any plan that's been in it for a while knows some of the risk profile of those enrollees. And so it's much easier to predict and plan for benefits for that population. And 
the piece of population was the riskiest that you could imagine. And GHA did a heroic job to manage that. But thankfully, it was only for a three-year period. They couldn't have sustained that for longer, and they shouldn't have been asked to. So, so the reaction from the carrier community was rather lukewarm at best. OPM had relationships with all of the national carriers in the country with a large number of regional plans. And we were hopeful that with our solid relationships that we had, we'd be able to find some national carriers or maybe some regional groups that would band together to participate in the multi-state plan program. We wound up in year one with one carrier group that participated. We, OPM, contracted with the Blue Cross Blue Shield Association. And frankly, I think that the reason that we had that carrier group was because, number one, they valued their relationship with OPM. They're the major carrier in the FEHBP. So there was a lot riding on a favorable relationship with OPM, perhaps in their mind. Secondly, it was a new program. They weren't sure where it was going to go. I don't think they wanted to be left on the outside looking in if we were able to figure out some kind of niche for it. They wanted to make sure they were at the table helping to shape that. We talked with many other carriers, and as Christy mentioned, like these carriers had made strategic decisions about the markets that they were going to enter. And it was very difficult for us to explain to them why they should now decide to enter every market in the country, again, without having any financial incentive that we could do to help support that, or even any kind of administrative efficiencies, for example, with form and rate filings. We couldn't offer any of that, again, because of that broad poison pill, the level playing field provision. I think one thing that was really interesting, it seemed like everybody wanted to come in at some point and talk to us, but getting them to commit to applying was the real struggle. They were very curious and they wanted to have the clue into what was going on. We were talking to Medicaid managed care plans. We were talking to union plans. We were talking to FEHB plans. A lot of insurance companies that were not currently participating in the individual market, they were like, wait, maybe this is a way for us to get in to expand our book of business. But when it came down to it, all the challenges we've already mentioned kind of started popping up and they just couldn't figure out how to overcome them. For example, you had to have be licensed in all 51 jurisdictions. But, you know, I think that, you know, everybody was kind of like, hmm, this is an interesting idea. But when it came to being like, okay, well, now we actually have to implement it and come up with a plan and fill out an application, they're like, oh, we can't meet all the standards you're asking us to meet because either we don't have the financial reserves to do it, we don't have the resources and capacity in-house to figure it out. Or we don't even have the ability to operate in all the states. And so I think for a lot of them, there was an interest. They could see that there was something there that might work for them in some aspect. But just getting it all put together and building it out. I think Rob mentioned this earlier about you had four years to get to all jurisdictions. That was a huge lift. If you were not operating in insurance markets and individual and small group insurance markets, and all of a sudden you had to be in 51 in four years. Most companies cannot handle that type of growth. That's an incredibly heavy lift for four years. 
to get from whatever number of, I mean, even if, even if you were already in half the country, to get to all 51 in four mm-hmm. years is a lot. Mm-hmm. And even if you were partnering up, how do those arrangements work? How do those contracting relations work to put plans together if they're regional operators? That was something that I think was just, you had to figure out a lot in a very short period of time. And then our hands were tied ultimately because we only had so much, I think, authority to make certain decisions to make it easier. So knowing what ultimately happened to the MSP program, why do we care now? What can we learn from the administration of the program and its ultimate failure? I think the first thing that I think of is in 2007, 2008, 2009, as we were thinking about health insurance reform and what became the Affordable Care Act, this public option was being discussed a lot. We're still in the same conversation. Everybody's talking about Medicare for our public option. That was pretty much the same conversation that was going on around that time, too. So I think it's taking a step back and looking at, well, what worked for this program and what didn't work and how do we apply that? And then one thing we've talked about quite a bit is looking at the broader range of public-private partnerships we have in insurance coverage and saying, okay, well, can we take those into consideration as well as potential models and build something that we think would actually work and would lead to ultimately what we want to get to is expanded coverage and lower premiums and competition in the markets. And so can we build something taking all these collective experiences and get to that place? Yeah, I think one of the things that is easy to say but hard to do is to try to figure out what problem you're trying to solve. Is it statewideness? Is that a problem? Is it choice of plans, not having enough choice? Is it price? We're all three. And trying to then design a program based on that because just calling a program FEHB-like and then not providing it the authority to actually operate like FEHB does nobody any favors. And so I think we're in a different place than when the law was passed. And even in the last couple of years, the markets have changed. So Congress needs to understand what are the issues that need to be solved out there? What is a public option of whatever flavor going to do for the markets? And think going down the road, what are we trying to... I mean, two years ago, three years ago, everyone was really fretting over counties with only one plan or potentially no plan. That's less of an issue now because of some changes that states have made and changes that CMS have made. So what is the problem we're trying to solve, I think, is, is pretty important. What I would add is that this was an effort at a private sector solution. And putting aside the debate about whether there should be a private sector solution or a public solution to whatever the problem is we're trying to address, you can't create a private sector solution and then not incentivize the private sector to participate. This is not a, if you build it, they will come scenario. We had no leverage financially from a regulatory perspective, from a streamlining perspective. The only thing we had going for us was that some carriers thought the OPM relationship was important. And that would include the co-ops who came into the program in the second year and wanted to build a relationship with OPM because they saw a long-term possibility of getting into the FEHBP. So that's what we had going for us, but balance that against the requirements of the law that you get into all 50 states and you live by all of the rules of that marketplace that you've already decided, either through action or through inaction, not to participate in. You need to incentivize the participation if you're going to use a private sector solution. Thinking a little bit more concrete, we talked about this in the health affairs piece. 
you need to create the right incentives. So whether those incentives are conditional participation in other programs that the federal government has a role in, whether that's Medicare Advantage or TRICARE or VA or even FEHB program, creating some type of incentive where you're like, if you participate, you get X, whatever that X is. And it could even be some assurances on risk, preserving them from certain types of financial risk. But that's, I think that's key. You've got to give a carrot. You can't just Mm -hmm. go the way that we went, which I think we really didn't have a carrot to offer. The other, I think that you have to really think about is getting to John's point. Our experience with FEHB program is we kind of realized not every state needed more options. There were states that had well-functioning health insurance markets that were, had almost too much competition. And so it's like, that's not where they needed, you know, it's how do you assess the risk and incentivize plans to work with the federal government to maybe go into more targeted areas where you need support or assistance? And then how can you use, I think for Congress or policymakers, they also need to think, and this applies probably to state or federal level, can you use something like a public option or a public-private partnership plan to change certain behaviors in the market? For example, there's a lot of discussion about hospital rates and hospital prices going up. Could you use something like a public option to maybe work to address some of the healthcare cost concerns we have and the growing healthcare costs that we have? So I think there's a lot of things that we can pull from this. I think policymakers really, to get to back to John's point, they need to decide what problem they're solving and commit to solving that problem. When you try to make something like this work for everyone, for everything, it just stretches too thin and then you don't really find what you need. So coming back to the health affairs article, the lessons learned from the multi-state plan program are that whatever proposal we see for it to be successful, we think that proposal needs to include flexibility for the policymakers implementing needs to get the incentives right for the private participants in the program, needs to focus on quality over quantity of the options that are available, and needs to have some element of cost control in the healthcare marketplace. And from this discussion, I think we can probably add one more, which is sort of an overarching theme that the policymakers who will craft this proposal need to have an idea at the outset of what the goal is and how to accomplish that goal with the proposal that's being advanced. Any final thoughts to leave us with? So I think one of the things that hampered the program was, like so many issues with the Affordable Care Act, the manner in which the law was passed. Certainly, as the agency implementing the multi-state plan program, we would have benefited from some more congressional guidance about the problem that the program was trying to solve. As we all know, that's not the way that the law played out. It was passed the way it was passed, and we have a law on the books that a lot of people have gotten coverage under as a result of. So in my opinion, that's a great thing. But certainly, not only with the multi-state plan, but I think with other parts of the law that had to be implemented in a short period of time, the lack of more specific guidance from Congress on what our objective should be was was problematic for us. I think I would just say I'm pretty optimistic with where we are. I feel like that we have a lot to build on. I feel like policymakers have a lot of things that they can look back and say, okay, we kind of understand this experience. We can try again and we can make it work this time. 
you look at states considering Medicaid buy-in or their own version of a public option, whether at the federal level doing the same thing with Medicare buy-in or their version of a public option. Second time around, you would hope we could apply all these lessons and get it right. I do think that I could see if Congress could get together on something like this, that this could be a market-based solution where you could do what you want to do, which is how do you expand coverage in areas of need and how do you cover the remaining people who are uninsured and what do you offer them? And so I think there is an opportunity. I would say that even though the multi-state plan program didn't work out ultimately, we've learned a lot from the experience and we should take that going forward. But I feel like the idea of a public option is a viable idea. And I feel like we have programs like FEHB program, TRICARE, VA, where state employee benefit plans even, where you can say, hmm, government and private partnerships do work. We just need to figure out how to apply them here. Yeah, and I think just one thing to add to that is really just more clarity about whose rules we're following. And are we going to be beholden to each state's rules, which we, I think, have proven is not a workable way to go. And then if we're going to use a federal path, then to be conservative and judicious about preemption and so that we respect states and state authority and have a relationship with them. And again, as Christy said, I think we've learned a lot over the last several years. And I think there's a place there for a public option of this sort. Let's just hope the policymakers are listening to this podcast. <laughs> Payers, Providers, and Patients Oh My is a podcast brought to you by Kroll & Mooring LLP. You can find more information at kroll.com slash healthcare podcast. Mm-hmm.